0: I'm Pam Stone, and welcome to Natural Health Simplified, where we help you cut through the noise and provide simple, science-based strategies to help you live a healthier life. Now, herbal remedies are really popular these days. You can readily find them on the shelves of any pharmacy, supermarket or health outlet, of course. Now, we know that herbs have been used for generations, but where's the evidence? Well, to explore this topic in more depth and help us understand whether herbal medicine can help our immune function, it's my great pleasure to welcome Leslie Braun, best selling author and director of Blackmore's Institute. Hi there, Leslie, thanks for joining us. Hi, Pam, how are you? Yeah, very well, very well. Now, I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say on this topic because it's so interesting and just so relevant, really. So let's start with the evidence. Can you tell us a bit more about where the evidence comes from and how we can use it to support the role of herbal medicines?
1: Sure. Look, I'd love to. It's it's actually a really fascinating area because herbs... I think in some ways are far more complicated than, than some of the other things, you know, that people are using for their healthcare. Mm. And the reason I say that is because herbs have been used for generations. Right. Um, you know, you could actually call herbs the first medicine, really. I like you that. Know, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's been around for thousands of years. As long as man has been wanting to find something in their local environment to help them feel better, you know, they often turn to herbs and foods. So in fact, that brings me to our first body of evidence and it's known as traditional use or traditional evidence. And I guess you could describe that as generations of observation and deduction, building a body of evidence over these over these generations to start to understand that when somebody uses a particular herb in a different way – What's likely to be the outcome they're going to see? Right. Okay. So that's the traditional use, and you'll find when you actually travel around the world, you'll see that every culture's got their own tradition of use. So traditional Chinese medicine, um, Ayurveda in India, you know, Unani in in Persia and in the Middle East, um, mm-hmm. Jammu in Indonesia. You know, really every single culture has got its own traditional evidence and traditional use. Right. So so that's it's actually a really big body of evidence, I guess. More more recently, kind of the you know, the more recent evidence has been built up after this has been the scientific evidence Hmm. because really we've only had scientific investigation into, um, I guess, medicines like this only for a relatively short time compared to all those generations of use. So scientific evidence is another one. Yeah. And when we talk about that, we're talking about test tube studies, so putting um, herbal components into test tubes and seeing what they do there, mm-hmm. pre-clinical research, uh, clinical trials, systematic reviews, you know, all of that stuff. Mm. And and that's another body of evidence that's incredibly important. Mm. But then there's another there's another body of evidence, and I think this is the one that a lot of people go to first, and that's their personal use. Oh, yeah. Okay. Tell us about where that fits in well you know when you try something for yourself you maybe you've heard it from a friend and they say oh look i've used this to reduce my migraines Mm -hmm. you know maybe it'll work for you and you know you take that on board and you give that a shot Mm. And if it doesn't work for you, well, that's a really strong form of evidence mm. for you.
0: Mm. Is that sort of like anecdotal? Is that what they mean by anecdotal evidence? Well, well it can be anecdotal, but I, I
1: call it personalized medicine because okay. we know genetically we're all a little bit different. We know our microbiomes a little bit different. And so realistically, the best way to work this out is if you've tried something and you get a good result, mm. and then you stop taking it and whatever you were treating comes back. Mm. And then you rechallenge and take it again and you get another good Good result. You've actually just done what's called an N of one trial. Right. Yep. Where you've used yourself as your own control,
0: yeah. you know,
1: treated and untreated, and you start to see the pattern every time you treat, you get a result. So mm. that's
0: a very powerful form of evidence. Excellent. We can't discount that either. Also, that's that is fascinating. There's more to evidence than what I've sometimes considered, I guess. So given this this traditional use, scientific use, personal use, tell us about one of your favourite herbs that fits into the immune category. Yeah, look, I think you
1: have to start with echinacea. I think just about everyone's heard about the um, herb echinacea by now. Oh, yes, and yes. And it's, it's incredibly popular. It's actually one of those herbs that was traditionally first used in North America. Okay. And um, more recently, it's undergone a lot
0: more scientific investigation. So there's a traditional body of evidence and now a scientific body of evidence as well. Oh, brilliant. So can you elaborate on the scientific evidence for us,
1: please? Sure. Well, the, in terms of the scientific evidence, there's actually quite a few different kinds of echinacea. Mm. And there's really the one that's had the most scientific investigations called echinacea purpurea. So, that's the one that's got that beautiful pinky purple petal. Um, It's got a cone-shaped flower Mm -hmm. and it's one of the most stunning plants Um, and it's often in a lot of posters because it's just a really beautiful looking flower. Mm -hmm. But when you have a look at the research, there's been a lot of work done to understand what Echinacea can do. Mm -hmm. and all of the different active components in echinacea because her- herbs are really complex. It's a bit like a food. When you take a herb, you're actually ingesting a whole lot of different natural ingredients in there with lots of different properties. Mm. Um Which is why sometimes people hear, oh, that herb does, you know, 10 things. Oh, that doesn't make sense. Well, it does if you remember that each herb contains lots of different active components.
0: And echinacea is exactly the same. Okay. So tell us about what the science says about echinacea that would be useful for us to know. Sure. Look, echinacea um,
1: has demonstrated anti-inflammatory activity, antiviral, antibacterial, when they look at them in test tube studies. It's also got a component in there with a local anaesthetic effect. Wow. So I know sometimes when people use echinacea liquid, on their tongue starts to feel like there's been a bit of a, like a local anesthetic effect on it. That's actually a good thing. That's normal. Um, but there's obviously been a lot of work done on its effect on the immune system. And It's known
0: as an immune modulator, which really means it regulates the immune function. So when should we think about taking echinacea? When's it really going to work best for us? Look, when you
1: look at the research, the strongest research behind this is showing that there's two things it can do, which is really useful. One of them is that if you take echinacea, Ongoing, so long term basis, mm-hmm. it does reduce the risk of respiratory infections. Mm. So, you know, that's really good, particularly for people that get, um, say, colds and flus on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. This can be something that can just reduce that frequency. Mm. So, so, there's that, but there's also been some research showing that when you use it at the first signs of a cold, for example, that it can actually have an effect on. Um, the length of time that you run well so it can give you I guess something that you can call like a no, rapid recovery. It kind of just gives your, your body that extra boost to
0: fight off what it's fighting just a little bit harder. Sounds great. So look, I might ask you as well on that point. So you mentioned firstly, yes, it's good to take as a preventive, I think you might've said. So how long should we take it for? Like say, you know, whether it's coming into the cold season or whether we're just feeling susceptible to a, a cold, are you talking a month, three months, six months, or what's what's a good recommendation there? I think I think it depends on the person. Okay. So so I, I know that when I was in practice and I used to
1: talk to people about um how frequently they were getting their colds. People who were working, say, in childcare or in schools with kids or mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason seemed to come down with colds on a regular basis. What I used to recommend there is to start taking it around Easter. Right. Okay. So you're well and truly mm. ready for the cold period. Yes. But but it's not something I think
0: people need to take all year round. I, I don't think that's necessary. Mm-hmm. And as you said, equally, you can reach for the very, very first sign of a whatever, maybe a sore throat, do you think, or something We you think, oh, mm. I think I'm succumbing to, to this cold, and it can yes. still help then as well. That's exactly how I use it, Pam. I've got it in my kitchen cabinet ready
1: mm. should I start to come down with a symptom. So when I start to get, a say, a chesty cough or a sore throat, I've got it ready, and I use it like that. Because I don't seem to get, I think, unfortunately, I don't get
0: colds very often, but if I do start to come down with something, that's when I get onto my echinacea. Oh, sounds fantastic. So it's good to hear about the science as well, backing up the traditional use evidence. What other herbs can you tell us about that are supported by research for immune health? Well, a herb that started to become very popular in the West It's a herb called andrographis, and it actually
1: comes to us from India. So it was used in Ayurvedic medicine as well as traditional Chinese medicine for a really long time. Um, But again, there's been more research coming through from a scientific perspective. And that one's really well suited for symptoms of a cough and a sore throat. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one of those ones again you keep in the kitchen cabinet so at the first sign of those symptoms you can take that Mm -hmm. and a lot of people use it together with echinacea just to give them Ah. a,
0: a stronger effect i was going to ask you that yeah good so you can combine them or if you can't find the echinacea you can you can get the andrographis as an option that's good to know
1: Yeah, yeah. It's there's also some evidence suggesting that it can be useful for cough, Mm -hmm. so reducing frequency and severity of cough, and just those general general sore throat, headache, you
0: know, all those just generalized symptoms you tend to get when you you know have an upper respiratory tract infection. So, what else is something to think about overall in terms of immune function? Any other favourites of yours?
1: Well, how I look at how I look at this area is that there are things that you can do all year round to keep you really healthy. Mm-hmm. Then there are things that you should keep in your kitchen cabinet, like the echinacea and andrographis, mm-hmm. that you can pull on and and start to use when you start to get those symptoms. Mm. But we all know that if you you know had a cold or a flu for a, a little while, you know sometimes they can last quite a few several weeks, sometimes they can linger for even longer than that. Mm. It affects your appetite. People don't tend to eat that well. They stay inside. And we also Mm. know that as the immune system gets primed to fight infection, it actually has increased requirements for a whole bunch of, say, nutrients as well. So there's this concept of, I guess, recovery, and there are some wonderful herbs that are useful for that recovery phase and convalescence. Mm. And probably one of the best
0: would be Siberian ginseng. So what do we know about how Siberian ginseng works and how it might be useful for us? So so, Siberian ginseng is
1: known as one of those adaptogenic herbs. So it's really useful when people have been undergoing, I guess, long-term stress. And that long-term stress can be psychological or even physical. And really going through, say, colds and flu. it's really a physical Mm. stress on the body. Mm. So it's used traditionally to help with recovery from that perspective um, Mm. and give you just, you know, kind
0: of bring back that energy that you're you're starting to lack. Well, that sounds good because, as you say, at the end of a cold, so you've successfully finally shaken the cold, but you can feel a bit flat after a cold and a, a bit exhausted. Is that when you might start taking the Siberian ginseng to pep you up a bit? That's the perfect time, Pam. Mm-hmm. I think there's that. Obviously, you need to
1: look at your nutrition. Um, I'd be you know, looking at key nutritional components as well and, and making sure you get enough fluids because that's one of the things a lot of people don't do when they're unwell. They
0: forget to up their fluids at the same time. Okay. Well, I, I love that point as we're saying about the recovery aspect of looking after our immune system, one that we prone to forget about. You know, we shake the cold and then we just carry on, you know, health health for leather again mm-hmm. without allowing the body to fully heal, giving it the support it needs. I, I, I do like that concept, so I won't forget about Siberian ginseng as being a tonic. Are there any other tonic herbs that can do this for us? Yeah, well, again, you know, the
1: Chinese are really um, strong in, these, in, this term, in this concept of tonic herbs. So mm-hmm. generally providing um, support for the body. And one of the other ones that's really well known is a herb called astragalus. Okay. Um, so astragalus is often included in a lot of herbal combinations. This supports the immune function, which is really good, and also it does have a role in recovery. Uh-huh. And, and and as I mentioned earlier, very often herbs are used in combinations. Mm. Um, and if you think about it, each herb's got multiple active components in it, and then you put, Three or four herbs together,
0: you're really helping the body in a broad way. Mm. So, Astragalus, how would you combine that if you wanted to with some of these other herbs? Look, uh,
1: astragalus can work incredibly well with Siberian ginseng. uh Um, It can also work with echinacea and it can work with andrographis as well.
0: Mm. These are obviously excellent herbs, all backed by science and sounds like a strong history of traditional use. In fact, it sounds to me like you're taking me on a bit of a tour, a a worldwide (laughs) global tour here, Leslie. So we started with echinacea from the United States, I recall. Then we've got andrographis, which comes from Indian or Ayurvedic medicine. The fatigue-fighting tonic herbs, Siberian ginseng, which I love the sound of, and astragalus from traditional Chinese medicine. Is this a theme? Where are we? Where are you taking us now? <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, I want to take us now to Europe, um, in particular to mm-hmm. Italy, where garlic is used in, in everything. <laughs> I mean, garlic—it's the ultimate kitchen cub- cabinet um, remedy. It's, mm. you know, it's something that's been part of Western herbal medicine for you know, centuries, mm. often used for upper respiratory tract infections. And also if people have got excess mucus or blocked noses, it can be really good. Um, mm. In fact, it's, re- it's really good when you add it to horseradish.
0: Oh, you know right. how when you have some mm. horseradish, you just, whew, that decongestant effect. Oh, absolutely. Fresh horseradish, fresh garlic. <laughs> yeah, that <laughs> yeah. sounds potent, yes. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, a bit yeah. smelly. That would be my only thing about garlic, that we if as long as we can tolerate all that, Garlic on our breath.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love garlic. I threaten everything, um, but you're right. It's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, so, in fact, you know, there's obviously um, other forms that are available that that don't seem to give you that same kind of smell and
0: aftertaste. I love the idea of garlic, and especially as we're probably all using a herbal medicine without realising that we're using it when we when we use garlic, and and it can be so easily used to help our immune function as well. Now, I think we've got time for one more herbs. So what's what would you draw on to finish us up, Lizzie? Okay. I've got to
1: say one of my absolute favourites is a herb that originated from South Africa. Mm. So going to South Africa now. Wow. (laughs) And it's called it's called pelagonium. Mm. Um pelagonium was actually used by the Zulu tribe. You know, again that was part of their traditional
0: traditional medicine Mm. and it was used to treat things like respiratory infections. Mm. Oh that sounds excellent. And so is that that's traditional evidence or scientific evidence? How are we going with that one? Well, this one's actually got a lot of scientific evidence now Mm -hmm. as well. Um, It's
1: almost like it was a a forgotten herb that had been used in, you know, amongst the Zulu tribe, you know, for centuries. And it was only, I think, oh, maybe 20, 30 years ago, there was a German PhD student who uncovered this and decided to have a good look at it. Mm. And as a result of that, It started to be used in clinical trials, mainly coming through from European research centres. Oh, fantastic. And now there's a really strong body of evidence of multiple clinical trials that have been using it in both adults and children, and it's clinically proven now. It does actually relieve symptoms Mm. as well as reduce the severity of symptoms of things like acute bronchitis and acute sinusitis. So the Zulu
0: tribe were absolutely spot on. Oh, that is fantastic. So, And sinusitis, for one, can be very painful, obviously. So it's so is that when you might reach for pelagonium when you when you've got these acute symptoms of a sinus flare up coming on?
1: Yes, that, that's exactly it. I think the key thing, obviously, with conditions like that is to, to seek medical advice if it goes on for too long or if it's sure. too severe, yep. Yep.
0: but absolutely, it's been proven to help with that discomfort and with the mm. symptom relief. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. And again, it's a little bit different to the other herbs and equally something to draw from in that. In that armory. So if, if perhaps perhaps if I'm the sort of person who usually gets a cold maybe four to five times a year and maybe I've got a couple of kids and a stressful job along with that and I just cannot afford to get sick, what's your top herbal remedy or a couple of remedies to, to recommend in that situation?
1: So I think from a prevention perspective, I'd look to echinacea first. Mm-hmm but I'd keep in my cabinet Pelagonium Mm. and the Andrographis as well in particular. And then um, for the recovery, look at things like Astragalus and the Siberian ginseng. Mm. But, But not to forget the role of really good food, lots of fluids,
0: and you may also need some nutritional support. Oh, that's great. Leslie, it's, it's just so interesting to hear where these remedies have come from and, of course, supported by that breadth of evidence. And it's so important that we can use the evidence to steer us in the right direction to support our immune health. So any final words from you on this topic? I, I think it's like everything. You know, a good diet is the foundation of good health. Mm-hmm. So we have to get that right. But there's certainly a lot that herbs can offer us beyond that. So herbs certainly have a respectable lineage of traditional use and sounds like there's a sound body of scientific evidence to recommend them. So anyone who asks, where's the evidence? You've given us the answers there, which is excellent. And I think (laughs) just as importantly, even more importantly, you've shown us how we can apply this knowledge to support our health and well-being. So thank you so much, Leslie. It's been so interesting chatting to you about this topic.
1: Oh, my absolute pleasure, Pam. Um, Look, it can be really confusing for a lot of people,
0: so hopefully I've just simplified it today. I'm sure you have. (laughs) So you've been listening to Natural Health Simplified, powered by Blackmore's Institute. Thanks for joining us today. As always, you can find this episode's links in our show notes. And if you have a question or topic you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you, so please get in touch at info at org. So tune in next time when we'll look at how the food choices we make are affecting how our immune system functions. I'm Pam Stone. Thanks for listening.